Hi, I'm David Pluff, and I'm thrilled to be back with another season of Campaign HQ. This season, we're going to go from now till the election, which is looming just uh, a couple of months from now. We're going to go deep into the key states that have Senate races, governor's races, secretary of state's races, U.S. House races. So each episode, we're just going to go deep into one state uh, and talk to experts from that state, uh, political journalists who are covering these races carefully, uh, campaign managers and other operatives who are leading these campaigns. And I'm excited that our first state uh, is going to be the great state of Pennsylvania, always an important battleground state and is kind of ground zero this year uh, as we look at battles for the Senate, key governor's race, as well as key House races. There's an open seat Senate race. Pat Toomey's retiring. Open seat governor's race. Uh, Governor Wolf is retiring. And we have key House races. Uh, And in Pennsylvania, there is no elected secretary of state. It's appointed by the governor of Pennsylvania. So essentially, the governor of Pennsylvania becomes the chief election administrator. And the gubernatorial candidate on the Republican side, uh, Doug Mastriano, uh, led the election denial efforts for Trump. So this is important, not just in Pennsylvania, but what it could mean for the country. So we're going to talk to three guests today, helping us learn more about the Pennsylvania election. We're going to start with Julia Teruso, political reporter from the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer. We're going to talk to Brendan McPhillips, who is running John Fetterman's U.S. Senate campaign, also led Joe Biden's Pennsylvania effort in 2020. And then we're going to talk to Burwood Yost, who's the director of the Center for Opinion Research at Franklin and Marshall College, uh, who has been polling Pennsylvania in many election cycles and will give us his vantage point in terms of what he sees to date and what we should be paying attention to uh, in these closing weeks. So welcome back. I'm excited to go deep in these states, and hopefully you'll learn more about each of these states, and it'll help you get a better picture of this entire uh, 2022 election. Julia Teruso from the Philadelphia Inquirer. Welcome to Campaign HQ. Thank you for having me. We're talking on Tuesday, September 6th, uh, I think just a little bit uh, after you left a Oz press event, correct? Yes, I just got back like 45 minutes ago. Where he was talking about his favorite topic uh, of, of the moment, debates. Uh, tell me a little bit about that event, if you could. And then we'll jump into a more broader discussion about what's happening in Pennsylvania. Sure. So uh, Oz was appearing with Senator Toomey, of course, the retiring senator, Republican senator in Pennsylvania. And uh, as soon as we walked in, I think we knew what it was going to be about because there were pictures of past Pennsylvania Senate debates. There was a picture of Toomey and McGinty. There was a picture of Lou Barletta and Bob Casey. Um, And it was all a push for Fetterman to debate Oz. It was also both of them, including Senator Toomey, questioning Fetterman's health and, you know, if he's been fully transparent about his health. That's become kind of a, a I'm sure we'll talk all about this, but, you know, he he had the stroke in May and he does have some lingering speech issues, which the campaign has been upfront about. That's part of kind of their internal deliberations on whether they will debate. But uh, it was it was Toomey and Oz really uh, hitting that point. And Toomey actually said that from what he's seen of Fetterman on the campaign trail, he thinks those communication problems would not make him an effective senator. So kind of really um, hitting the the health piece. Pretty strong stuff. I mean, as a former operative, I would also 
probably say pretty desperate stuff. That's not a partisan um, observation. Generally, these uh, attacks on folks' health have not worked for those uh, who are the attacker. But uh, before we jump into the rest of the state, I mean, do you expect in that Senate race, is this now Oz's lane? Uh, He's behind in the race. I expect it to tighten as you probably do. But is this what he's going to drive from here till Election Day? And the other reminder is, and and I'm sure this factors in your coverage, people in Pennsylvania start voting very soon. (laughs) They do. Oz brought that up today, actually. He said, you know, he was asked, when would you want this debate to happen? And he said, well, absentee ballots are going to start going out in just a few weeks now. Traditionally, Senate debates have taken place as late as late October. Right. Um, so I do think I think this is something Oz is going to continue to press Fetterman on. I think, you know, this is also sort of a tactic you see a lot when there's a challenger facing an incumbent. So it, it does say something about Fetterman's lead right now. You know, Oz is always saying he's either too sick to debate or he doesn't want to debate his liberal policies. But I think there's a third factor, which is strategically, if you're up in the polls and, you know, there is some risk to debating, can you, can you avoid it? Um, The campaign has said they, they've sort of made a veiled commitment that they will, but where, when anything concrete, we haven't heard yet. So Mm -hmm. I think the other thing that Oz has signaled, he will really try to um, focus on is crime. And we were in Philadelphia today. And, and it's so I think it'll be debates, debates, is he up to it? And then crime, crime, crime. As much as things change, things never seem to change uh, uh, in, in terms of uh, these issues. Uh, no, I, well, listen, there's no doubt that, uh, you know, there's been elections in my, uh, unfortunately, I now can say long history in politics where you know, crime has has been weaponized, uh, particularly by the Republicans. But it's also uh, a place, again, of desperation. We saw that with Trump, you know, suggesting that basically Montgomery County and Bucks County, uh, all residents would have, you know, MS-13 members camping in their backyard and <laughs> and, and folks would be afraid to, to leave their homes. Didn't work then. We'll see this time. So let's step back. So Pennsylvania is, uh, is probably ground zero. A lot of important states this uh, year in terms of the midterms, but you have open seat Senate, U.S. Senate, open seat governor. You've got at least two House toss ups, another one probably lean Republican. Um, you know, in your state, uh, there is no secretary of state race because the governor appoints that. So that makes that even more important. Just, you know, for folks particularly who aren't familiar with Pennsylvania, who might be in California or, you know, Arizona, just give everybody, if you wouldn't mind, Julia, just a tour of, of, of what's on the ballot this year. Sure. Uh, we We say Pennsylvania is the center of the political universe. And I think we said that in 2020, but it feels true this time. Um, yeah, we have a, an open governor's race, as you said, and we are a state where the abortion law could be determined based on who the governor is. We have a Republican controlled state legislature. It could shift, but it's likely to remain Republican controlled. So whether a Democrat or Republican becomes governor could have a big impact on abortion law in the state, on how elections are run in the state. Open Senate seat, of course, which could determine the the control of the chamber and a a number of, of tight house races. And this is a state that is also, you know, one of the biggest bellwethers in the country. We we voted for uh, President Obama twice, then the state flipped to vote for President Trump, and then narrowly elected President Biden in, in 2020. 
So it's, it's as purple as you can get <laughs> at a big, a big, um, Trump state, you know, it's sort of the two ends of the political spectrum are represented here as well. You had President Biden making a couple stops here in, in recent weeks and President Trump doing a big rally for the Republican candidates here. Um, so we're, we're very kind of emblematic of the, the country as a whole. Yeah, right. So you've had in the last few days, Trump in the state, Biden in the state. Uh, any sense? I know it's early. If, if either of those visits, I mean, how much are Trump and Biden playing into these races? How much do you think that, that Oz and Fetterman and Mastriano and Shapiro kind of have their own definition? Kind of what's your view of these outside factors? And I assume Trump and Biden will be back in the state maybe multiple times between now and Election Day. I would think so. I think for both of the Republican candidates, Mastriano and Oz, their hope is that Trump's support, that Trump's big rally will boost their candidacies because they're both trailing in their races. However, you know, I think President Trump spoke for two hours at this rally in Wilkes-Barre, and I think maybe um, five or six minutes was dedicated to talking about Oz and Mastriano. So it's kind of, uh, you know, he's there, but it's, it's not like he's spending a ton of time talking about them. Mastriano is this uh, a state senator from Pennsylvania, ultra conservative, just kind of right out of Trump world and Trump's brand. And he got a huge cheer and outpouring at this rally. So he was really speaking to his base, rallying up his base. The question for him is, can he expand that at all um, to win statewide in Pennsylvania? For Oz, I think it's it's uh, maybe a little bit more complicated. You know, he he won a really tight primary where the majority of Republicans didn't vote for him and where he faced a lot of questions about, is he conservative enough? Is he a true conservative or is he this kind of liberal, closeted liberal media or liberal doctor? And so for him, Trump support could bring out some of the the Trump world. Um, but in super purple Pennsylvania, he's also got to appeal to more moderate Republicans in the suburbs. And and I think Democrats are thrilled that Trump is campaigning with Mastriano and, and Oz and have said that in statements because they think, you know, it'll it'll help them in a more moderate state. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're Oz, you're probably hoping that Mastriano is the reason so many uh, MAGA voters who may at risk of not turning out turn out right, and he hopes he gets, um, you know, the bulk of those people to 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 you know vote down the ballot for him. But but how much divergence do you expect between the gubernatorial and the Senate race? I mean, maybe they end up being pretty close, but the candidates take different paths to get there. But do you think it's possible that we could see an outcome where there's a variance of two three points between those two races, or do you think they'll track very very closely? I think we could absolutely see a couple point difference. And you, you see that a little bit in the polls now. Um, you know, there's a small but fascinating population of Fetterman Mastriano voters. <laughs> I would love to talk. And are those to mostly out West, do you yeah. think? or Yes, I think in polls, yeah. it's because they, they do like rural, urban, you know, different parts of the state. And again, this is not a large number of voters, but if but right. if you're just talking about political behavior, there there is some Fetterman appeal in um, you know, other parts of, of the state. Um, and then I also think, you know, Shapiro is the most popular by favorables candidate on the ballot. So, and he has often outperformed 
other Democrats on the ballot. So you could see that kind of factoring into the margins. It's fascinating. So let's talk, you know, elections are about a lot of things, timing, issues, um, surprises, but they're also, uh, you know, at the core about math, less exciting, but true. And so Pennsylvania is a purple state. You know, my assessment of it in a post-Dobbs world where abortion is is going to be such an important issue, particularly in suburban areas, that, you know, a Fetterman and a Shapiro, you would think will do what they should do in the suburban areas, meaning maybe they get Biden numbers, maybe even a little bit better. Uh, that puts a lot of pressure then on the Republicans. So I think for the Republicans to get 50 percent of the vote, if, if that happens, would require either a Democratic turnout being um you know, off the mark uh, in Philadelphia, most importantly, but but also in Pittsburgh and some other urban areas, or the Republican vote share being kind of what we saw Trump get in 16 as opposed to 20 in the smaller rural and exurban counties, and that Republican turnout that I think a lot of pollsters missed in both 16 and 20. I mean, even though Biden won Pennsylvania by what, 1.2%, it was a lot closer than the polls, in part because Trump got huge turnout. Kind of what's your view on that? When you talk to Republican operatives, uh, you know, to the extent they're being honest about how they put together 50 percent of the vote, I assume they think they're going to get turnout that's outsized, that people aren't capturing in polls, and they think they're going to do as well as Trump did in some of these smaller counties, although Fetterman in particular would seem to be a challenge. That I'm just curious how you assess the math. Yeah, it's a complicated picture. I I think what you said about Dobbs is absolutely true. I've talked to Republican strategists who, off the record, say that it's looking like a disaster for them in suburban areas, just because the same way, you know, Trump's victory in Pennsylvania had so much to do with driving up rural turnout. Democrats, it's become a story of the suburbs and how much they can surge there. Um, You know, I do think that when they they look at when Republicans look at how they could get to 50% 50% or, or a victory. They they look at someone like Mastriano and the, the numbers he might be able to drive up in rural places. Um, and while there's absolutely data that shows, you know, um, women registering to vote post jobs and particularly young women in Pennsylvania, there's also surveys that still say the top issue for voters is the economy and inflation. And depending on what that looks like, I mean, we're only two months away now. I think a lot of Republicans think at the end of the day, you know, that might outweigh the a bump in enthusiasm among Democrats for abortion. So that's not really an answer to no, <laughs> how well, the math will fasc- play out. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it's just a constant kind of looking at all the moving pieces. Well, it's a fascinating puzzle, right? I mean, that's the that's the challenge of campaigns. I'm curious. So I always think that, uh, you know, political reporters who are covering races, um, you know, usually have the best insight into, um, okay, obviously you have to cover what a candidate is saying, but, you know, you have a sense of why they're saying it, like how does it fit in their campaign strategy? And then of course, you know, every cycle there's innovation. So I think in this cycle, from afar, anyway, it looks like Fetterman is is really um, setting kind of a new standard in Senate races around the use of social media. Um, what what are you picking up in terms of are there new um, you know tactics that are being deployed by any of these these candidates um, that are interesting to you? I think if Fetterman wins, his social media strategy will be studied and replicated. And you know, part of the reason it's been successful is, of course 
his, the brand that he has and that he's been able to develop and the name recognition that comes from running for Senate and being a lieutenant governor. But um, I mean, we did not see him on the trail. I know it's the dead of the summer, but from May until um, when was that Erie rally? August. Um, right. And he raised a lot of money just kind of staying connected to his network of voters um, on social media Twitter, email, other channels. Um, And I mean, it's, you know, I've gone to Fetterman events and people, he doesn't really have like supporters so much as fans sometimes. Now, some of this has maybe changed a little bit since he's been off the trail. Um, But, you know, people love Giselle, his wife. They follow his dog's Twitter account. (laughs) So there is an enthusiasm that he has that he's been able to capitalize and kind of like get in on the joke. And I think there is a cynicism around politics that he has been able to kind of work to his advantage by, by making jokes about New Jersey that maybe aren't super personal attacks, but that are kind of funny things Pennsylvanians can relate to. Now, how far that support extends beyond kind of that that hub of Fetterman stands, I think is the real question. And can you ride out that momentum um, without kind of doing a full, a full blown hitting the trail type thing? Not to say he hasn't been back on the trail, but it's much, much uh, lighter compared to what Oz is doing. Right. And now I think that you do have Oz questioning his his stroke and his communication abilities you know they're able to say you know oh that's that's a personal attack and we've you know they've they've run a pretty snarky campaign themselves but um part of what they're trying to do is contrast like attacking someone personally for their health issues that so many people go through with attacking someone for not being from from pennsylvania not kind of being in touch with um, what voters, average voters are experiencing. Um, you know, you had a front row seat to the instability in our democracy in, in 2020 um, uh, in terms of, of how the vote counting unfolded in Pennsylvania. Uh, you know, we saw this in Michigan and, and Wisconsin and Arizona as well. The Pennsylvania law did not change, right? So uh, mail-in ballots still cannot be counted by law until after the polls close, right? So we're still going to have in Pennsylvania a lot of vote come in and counted in the days after Election Day. Um, Do you I mean, I would assume Mastriano, if he takes a lead in the Election Day voting (laughs) on Election Day, will declare himself the winner. But but how do you see all that unfolding? I mean, is it basically going to be a rerun of of 20 where you've got Oz and Mastriano saying, hey, we led at some point in the night. Uh, and so there's fraud going on. Now, obviously, if they end up winning, they'll be fine with the outcome. But in a scenario where the Democrats are able to win the Senate and gubernatorial seat, do you expect to have the same dynamic we had in 20 in terms of uh, no concessions, uh, it was fraudulent, et cetera? I think it actually could be a different answer for Oz and Mastriano. I mean, if they're if they're both trying to join forces and contest something together, maybe not. But um, Mastriano led the election denialism campaign in Pennsylvania. And then with 
Oz, you have someone who narrowly won the primary in a recount and, you know, whose whose challenger was narrowly behind and was saying, let's wait till all the votes are counted. And Oz, for the most part, agreed to let the process play out. Kind of an undertold story in Pennsylvania is Mm -hmm. two Republicans really um, (laughs) respecting the system with some snarky statements, you know, going back and forth, but largely um, letting it play out. Um, Oz today actually was asked if he would have certified the 2020 election if he was in the Senate at the time, standing next to Senator Toomey, who of course did, and Oz said he would have. So I think these are two candidates with slightly different um, politics related to to all that. Although, again, who knows if, you know, if he is, if they join forces, which they really kind of haven't so far. Um, But it'll definitely be interesting to see. And I think Mastriano is the one to to watch in terms of that because we looked at how many voters in Pennsylvania voted for him by mail in the primary and it was extremely low it was the lowest of any candidate on the ballot so he's going to have likely if that those trends follow for the general which sometimes they don't um you know a, not as many mail in votes I'm curious when you talk to local republican operatives in Pennsylvania so you know, clearly not the Mastriano campaign, but it does strike me that it's political malpractice. I mean, what Trump did was political malpractice, but those that continue in the Republican Party to malign mail-in voting. I mean, it's you're, you're basically either cutting off or really disincentivizing one of the important avenues to voting. <laughs> and I, you know, I always thought when I was running campaigns, okay, what are my avenues to get people to vote? And I want to maximize them all. Like clearly there probably are local Republican candidates who are quite comfortable in Pennsylvania talking about, please vote by mail, ballots are going out. I'm just curious, like uh, it must be really frustrating to some of these local operatives and candidates because the Mastrianos and Trumps of the world are, are hurting them in terms of they're going to lose some vote because some people who end up not voting on election day would have voted by mail. I think it is frustrating to them. And I think we're hearing less and less of the don't trust mail-in voting rhetoric. You know, I mean, the the party sends out mailers saying, scan this QR code to like get your mail-in ballot, the Republican Party. So it is clearly a strategy to get more people to vote um, that, that, you know, they want to use and that they don't want people to be afraid to use. As you look ahead to the next um, two months, um, what will you be watching for most carefully? I mean, you've got obviously, will there be a Senate debate? Uh, you know, will there be convergence or divergence between these top of the tickets? You've got what does the early mail-in voting numbers look like? I'm just curious, like, what's kind of your checklist of of the most important things that you'll then be interpreting for your your readers? I'm definitely interested in what the the campaign messages are, kind of in the home stretch now that people are paying more attention and those TV ads are going to start <laughs> flying at us. Uh, interested to try to talk to some independent voters on kind of where they are feeling and falling in this race. And then I do think, you know, on the Senate side, it's we're probably going to be talking about debates and will they, won't they for for weeks and weeks. Um, but, you know, what does does abortion keep motivating voters? Does what's happening with inflation in the economy? Um And, you know, we just saw Biden do kind of this like general election tour, like what is the his 
his pitch and and how does how does he kind of factor into all of this, especially in Pennsylvania, where where he has some hometown roots and where he comes back to a lot, but where his approval rating is um, slumping, although doing better, but you know, like it is nationally. It is ground zero for 2022. So uh, we'll all be uh, following your coverage carefully and, and thank you for helping us, helping guide us uh, through the, the campaign to date and these next uh, in these next two months in Pennsylvania. Julia, thank you so much for your time. Thank you so much, it was fun. Well, everyone, I'm super excited that we're joined today by Brendan McPhillips, who is uh, currently running John Fetterman's race for the United States Senate. Uh, as I mentioned, no one knows Pennsylvania, I think, these days better than uh, Brendan. Um, I would like to start by thanking him for the work he did back in 2012 when he was just a young buck uh, as a regional field organizer helping, I think, in Bucks County, right? That's right. Uh, in Barack Obama's reelection. Uh, you guys did uh, such a tremendous job, so so thank you for that. Always like talking to someone who started out as a field organizer. Well, listen, Brendan, I'm just going to give you the mic to start. Uh, we're the day after Labor Day, Pennsylvania these days. Uh, people are going to start voting very soon. Just give us a sense of uh, the state of the race as you see it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's been a fun summer, as I'm sure you know. those of you who have been following the campaign, we've been uh, doing our best to... Uh, let people know who Dr. Oz is, uh, that he's not one of us. He's not from Pennsylvania. He just drove over the bridge to try to steal our Senate seat here. Um, and we've been trying to have some fun, you know, creative ways to engage on that topic, uh, keep people engaged, uh, you know, during the sweltering summer here. Um, and it's been going well, but we're not taking anything for granted. This is Pennsylvania after all. Um, it is, you know, a, a purple battleground state. We expect the race to tighten. Uh, and we're prepared for that. Um, my motto is always run like you're five points down. And so that's how we want to approach uh, the next 63 days uh, before the election. So, you know, we're going to leave it all on the field and just keep talking about what John wants to do for Pennsylvanians, which is, you know, advocate for what they need to make more stuff here in America, um, lower taxes for working people, ban members of Congress from you know, engaging in trading stocks and benefiting from their position um, and just looking out for regular working Pennsylvanians. And we're going to do that by, you know, telling John's story uh, about, how, you know, all the work that he's done throughout his years here in the Commonwealth and comparing that to Dr. Oz and the work he's done here, which is zilch. <laughs> well, I want to spend some time talking about the world-class tool and weirdo Oz in a minute, but but let's you know, you led Joe Biden's effort in Pennsylvania. Uh, thanks for that, by the way. Uh, probably the most important battleground in 20. You guys won by 1.2. And I'm just curious, you know, in that race, it was, you know, you knew it was going to be close, uh, you know, but obviously, like we saw in 16 and even a little bit in 18 in some states, um, you know, Joe Biden ended up winning by a 0.2, um, a little bit closer than the polls showed. In some polls right now, you guys have a pretty big lead, as as does Josh Shapiro. I always remind Democrats that if you're leading in a poll, let's say 48-40, that's great. But there's still 12 percent of the vote yet to be allocated. So when you, when you say you think the race is going to tighten, is that mostly due to the fact that you've kind of closer to your ceiling than you think Oz is in terms of people who are professing their 
uh, stated vote preference. Kind of talk about like that, because I, I think it's important for Democrats. Listen, things nationally are probably as good as we could have hoped, <laughs> given what's happening economically. You guys in Pennsylvania, particularly, I think, have, have done a terrific job of framing the debate. But these races are going to tighten, right? Yeah, absolutely. We need Democrats to remember that you've got to fight and run through the tape. We can't take anything for granted. Um, you know, some of the polls in early to midsummer showing these drastic uh, double digit leads. That's because people have not made up their minds. You know, they look at what a clown Dr. Oz is and, you know, they ridicule him. But, um, you know, this is a polarized country, polarized Commonwealth. Um, and these races always tighten because a lot of people come home and, you know, rejoin their tribe and vote along partisan lines. Uh, we believe that John is a different kind of candidate who can win a fair amount of uh, Republican votes, even uh, do really well with independents because he's not a national Democrat. He's his own person. He has a long record here of just serving working people and people who need help here in the Commonwealth. Um, and that resonates with people. People know him. People don't know Dr. Oz and what they do know about him. They don't like. But a lot of Republicans are going to get over that. And they're going to come back home. And we expect it'll be a close race. And so we you know, need people to buckle up and continue to volunteer, continue to donate online. We need all the help that we can get uh, so that we can bring this home and get that 51st vote in the Senate. Yeah, I think that's so important for, for folks to remember that, you know, these states like Pennsylvania, uh, I mean, you know, maybe if it's a historic landslide, one party could win by eight or 10 points, but they're going to tighten. Uh, and a lot of these polls that show, and I think this is true in Georgia, even in Arizona, Democrats with big leads, it's the Republican candidates are running such shit campaigns and they're such weirdos that voters are saying, well, I'm not sure. But most of those folks are going to come home. I mean, I hope they don't. And they end up voting for for our candidates. Uh, so talk a little bit about your social media strategy. I mean, J John Fetterman is, is a candidate who's relied on these platforms through his career as they've developed. Um, obviously, he's, I think, uniquely suited uh, to that. Um, I, a couple of questions. How much of your social media strategy, though, was also influenced by the fact that it was Dr. Oz? You know, if McCormick had come through that primary, would it be a little bit different? Obviously, your candidate um, suffered a stroke and, and had some recovery time. How much is driven by uh, circumstance or how much was this was core strategy? And I, I also I just love you to also is there, are there things not that you want to preach to others, but what can Democrats learn by the way, you've, I mean, you're running a social media first campaign. Uh, you've got an edge. Um, you guys are super quick in terms of rapid response. I, it must be a fun campaign to lead. I'm sure you've got some brilliant young people making it happen uh, behind the scenes. But but just talk a little bit about that, if you could. I mean, I think the important thing to note at the top, this all begins with John. Uh, John loves social media. He's a Gen Xer with a quirky sense of humor. Um and he's authentically himself. And a lot of the stuff that you see us post comes directly from John. Um, and other stuff, you know, we have a really great creative team. Um, you know, people throw ideas around, run them by John. If, if we like something, we get it out there. Uh, I think what, you know, we've been good at is, you know, not letting, um, you know, not letting ourselves be <laughs> too cautious like some campaigns are, yeah. you know, wanting to, you know, run things by legal every time you tweet something. Um, you know, we just try to be authentic to our candidate. And that's really, I think, when, you know, people talk about, oh, Democrats need to do what Fetterman's doing. I agree. But that means by finding authentic candidates who are real people running them and then running campaigns that are true to those individuals. 
Um, you know, we're not a national carbon copy Democrat. We are John Fetterman and the campaign embodies him. Yeah, it's such a, a good reminder, uh, the authenticity required, you know, to run a campaign like this, both on the candidate and the campaign level. So your opponent um, seems to land it on really the only thing um, he wants to talk about these days, which is John Fetterman's health and challenging the debate. You and I are talking on Tuesday, September 6th. He's already had a press event uh, challenging that. Uh, a, is that what you think he's going to do, Oz, from here to the end? And B, what's your polling showing in terms of, is it having any impact? Uh, is it backlash? You guys have done a good job, I think, of, of of making light of what he's doing. But talk to me about how you see that strategically. Yeah, I mean, I think they're flailing. You know, they're talking about having a dozen debates in August and September, which is a joke that I think smart people don't take seriously. Um, it's totally without precedent. Uh, I believe in 2018, there were one or two debates. They both happened in late October. Um, the press conference you just mentioned that he was doing with Pat Toomey, uh, you know, trying to challenge us to debates. I think Pat Toomey debated Katie McGinty on October 17th, uh, 2016. Um, so it's rather hypocritical. It's unserious. And they're latching onto it because I think they know reporters love debates and are eager to to watch one, um, but they don't have anything else to talk about. On the issues, Oz has nothing to say to people who live in Pennsylvania. Um, in fact, I think, you know, Oz is debating himself in this campaign, calling abortion murder in the primary, and then trying to walk that back in the general. Um, you know, he should probably figure some of those things out first before he wants to get in the ring with John. Yeah, I've always thought that one of the most over- covered stories in politics in terms of it really having little effect on voters is how many debates are you going to have? What type of debates? It's it's similar to me like the vice presidential selection. I mean, unless you make a big mistake like McCain did, it really doesn't affect uh, the choice that much. Yeah, we spend months and months and months uh, of ink and, and video time talking about it. So let's talk about Pennsylvania a little bit. I mean, you you know this state backwards and forward, and it's changed a lot you know, since you worked in 2012 for Barack Obama, you know, our map looks different, you know, uh, than, than it does today. The the effort you led in 20 for Biden, obviously massive margins in the suburbs, almost historic margins. You did what you needed to do turnout wise in the eastern part of the state. Uh, and Biden did a little bit better than Hillary in some of those smaller counties in the middle of the state and out west. As you look at this race and how you guys get to, to 50, 51 percent of the vote, do you think that's going to be similar to 20? Are there places where John Fetterman might be able to, you know, get 30, 35 percent of the vote where Biden got 25 in smaller counties? Just talk to me about how you see the race unfolding sort of in terms of the, the county by county landscape. Yeah, absolutely. Well, like John's motto uh, of the campaign since the beginning has been every county, every vote. Uh, he's been to all 67 counties of the Commonwealth multiple times. Uh, Dr. Oz probably doesn't know where most of them are on a map, um, and voters know that. And I think because of that, um, you know, John is probably able to do much better in more rural parts of the state than many Democrats are, because he shows up all the time. He goes to the county dinners. He goes on listening tours. Um, in fact, when you know, in one of his early uh, moves as lieutenant governor, he did a 67 county listening tour to talk to people about their opinions on legalizing marijuana. Um, and so I do think, you know, similar to what we did in 2020, showing up in places that are more traditionally conservative, fighting for every vote, uh, we are definitely doing that on this campaign. Um, 
And I believe John will be able to push those margins up a little bit, but you got to do everything. You've got to do the work in Philadelphia. You've got to run up the score in the suburbs and you've got to show up to every County and, and fight in those places that, you know, we're going to go red, but you want to show people that uh, they can be proud to, uh, to throw their vote your way. Um, I mean, just a few weeks ago, John did uh, his coming back rally in Erie, uh, which is, you know, as you know, one of the three pivot counties that went from Obama to Trump. And we had almost 1500 people turn out for that event. It was wild. Uh, to be honest, I don't know if a lot of candidates, uh, if any candidate could get that many people, uh, even, you know, national figures in at a rally in Erie. Um, and then just a week later, he was in Mercer County, pulled a few, I think, 450 some odd people there. Um, and we're going to continue to do that. John's going to go talk to voters uh, for the next 63 days of this campaign, um, going to places where Democrats haven't spent a ton of time and uh, we expect that there will be a lot of support there. And that's that's a big part of how we'll win, but it's how you should campaign. You should have to go and talk to everyone. Nobody should be ignored. Uh, that's a central ethos of this campaign is everybody has a voice that should be heard. We're fighting for every county, every vote. It's not just a political strategy. It's a core belief to who we are. And it's how we'll be better as a Democratic Party, too, making sure that we're listening to everyone, bringing them into the conversation. No question. We have to do it. Of course, when Dr. Haas hears Mercer County, he thinks of Trenton, New Jersey, not of uh, That's right. Mercer County, Pennsylvania. So listen, uh, you know, you're an excellent campaign manager. All good campaign managers worry about everything. Um, but I am. But also every good campaign manager may have something they're most concerned about in terms of, OK, when I'm looking at how to get to 50 or 51 percent of the vote. So in your case, are you know, You've obviously got to hit your mark in suburban areas, and maybe you'll even exceed what you did in 20 with Biden uh, in, in a post-Dobbs world. You're fighting for, for votes in the Erie counties of the world, but also those small rural counties. And then you've got to generate, you know, base urban turnout. Given that it's an off-year election, are you most concerned about the last thing, turnout? Or, again, with a caveat that you're worried about at all, like what at 3 a.m. is the thing that really keeps you up at night? Definitely worried about all of it. Um I am cautiously optimistic about turnout. I think it's very clear that the stakes are incredibly high, especially post Dobbs. Uh, we're seeing signals that women are incredibly fired up to get out and, and make their voices heard again this election. Um, but we're not going to leave anything on the table. Um, honestly, the, the thing that keeps me up the night at night the most is because we had such a good summer. Uh, you know, kicking Oz around that some folks may feel like they can take their foot off the gas. And, you know, that's, that couldn't be further from that's the truth. Dangerous. Yeah. yeah. You gotta, you gotta sign up to knock some doors. Uh, it's hot out right now, but we need you. Uh, we need you to sign up with uh, all NPA, the coordinated campaign here. You gotta make calls. You gotta knock doors. I mean, you, you know, this from the <laughs> Obama campaign better than anyone else. Uh, that was very field driven campaign and it was, it was core to the ideology there. And, you know, we need you to show up and volunteer. We need your small dollar donations online. We cannot compete with Mitch McConnell's super PAC money. Um, so it all adds up and, and we need all the troops to, um, you know, rally around John during the home stretch. So that's the other thing to remember is you got to run through the tape through election day. But, you know, some of these people who are professing their vote choice are actually going to execute that vote choice uh, pretty soon. Uh, so um, do you have any restrictions around your field organizing and volunteer activity because of COVID? I know that I know that was such a burden for you in 20. 
are all the uh, are all the restrictions off now? Restrictions are pretty much off. Obviously, the campaigns are trying to be cautious about it. Um, you know, our staff regularly gets tested. Um, you know, we're <laughs> buying a bunch of rapid tests, and uh, but people are pretty comfortable being back to normal now. It's wholly different than 2020, which was incredibly challenging. Um, so yeah, like you should come out and volunteer. It's a safe environment. You know, get your boosters. Um, it'll it'll be fun. We'll make it fun. Uh, and you're right. People are voting really soon. Well, now that we're talking about vote by mail, so uh, okay, let's uh, let's have a rosy thought for a minute. Uh, you know, maybe even early. So let's say it's you know eleven o'clock or twelve o'clock Eastern. Um, it's clear from all your projections and all the networks that that you guys are going to win. So again, this is a rosy projection. Um, but but Oz might have a little bit of a lead in terms of the same day vote. And I, they did not change the law, right? So most of the ballots are going to be counted after the election. Do you think Oz will concede ever, even if you guys win by three or four points? Like, what, what's your sense there? Not that you can worry about that. All you can do is get the most votes you can and, you know, win the fucking race. But like, what's your view of that? Um, I mean, look, you saw Oz share a stage with insurrectionists a few days ago at that Trump right. rally. And he's shown himself to be a man with very little to no character. So I would not be surprised if uh, he chose not to concede in that situation. And folks should keep in mind the reason why uh, there is likely to be uncertainty on election night is because Republicans ensure that the law prevents the counties from counting votes. Um, even on election day before uh, a certain time, they, they want to back up the system as much as possible. And they also know that more Democrats vote by mail. And so that means that's going to skew the election night totals as they're coming in and it may take a few extra days, just like in 2020. Um, but, you know, there's nobody harder working than those county election officials who show up every day to you know, do the important work of democracy. So uh, everybody should feel safe and secure and knowing that their vote is going to be counted. Yeah. So so Democrats in Pennsylvania and throughout the country should just prepare themselves that to A, be patient and B, you're going to get frustrated because the Republican game playing will probably continue. Uh, Trump did set the, the standard there. Um, so I'm curious um, and I'm not asking you to critique their campaign or where you'd like to be doing better. Just so for Democrats to think about this, because obviously you've got a really important gubernatorial race uh, as well. Uh, another open seat race with Shapiro and, and Mastriano. Do you think when when all is said and done, like will will Fetterman and Shapiro be within a point of each other? Will there be more divergence? Kind of how do you think about that? Yeah, that's interesting. I, I think there's a couple ways that could go. I, I think there are some Republicans who um, will find a reason to vote for Shapiro and, and some who will find a reason to vote for Fetterman. They probably come from different places. Um, right. Right. It, like, you know, I think um, Attorney General Shapiro will, you know, get some moderate Republicans in the in the suburbs who are really disgusted by um, by Mastriano and some of the wild things that he's saying. I think we'll get some Republicans who, um, you know, may be more conservative, more aligned with Trump, but know that John is from Western PA, knows that he's shown up to their towns and communities and, and may side with us uh, because they know that John's a real person. Um, I think both candidates are good about speaking to the entire electorate and, uh, you know, also standing up for their values and being honest about them, um, but doing so in a way that it's not isolating to people. And I think that's a, an important skill that 
Democrats need to have uh, so that you can actually run in every county strategy. No, it's it's something that, you know, if we're going to survive the next decade, uh, we've got to got to get better about this. And the model you're setting has to be be the standard. I'm curious. So, uh, you know, we saw in 20, we saw in 16. And even though 18 was a great Democratic year, particularly in some red states, um, in all three of those election cycles, I, I think, you know, Republican turnout was really, really strong. Now, obviously, we had great historical turnout in 18, uh, very strong turnout in 20. I'm sure none of that surprised you. But, you know, to me, this is just now a factor in American politics, which is if you're running a Democratic campaign, if you think 10 Republicans are going to show up, you better assume there'll be 11. I'm just curious, like, do you think we're going to see that again where we get Republican turnout at the absolute top level or not? Trump's not on the ballot. Oz and Mastriano in different ways uh, are kind of fools. I'm just curious, like what you th- I, mean, I know you're probably preparing for like the massive Republican wave, but kind of, you know, what do you see when you look at the data? Um, you know, it's really hard to predict, but I feel like tides are turning and Democrats are excited and that's important. I think women want to show up and fight for their right to, to choice, to reproductive health. Um, I think, uh, Donald Trump's rally a few days ago was a rather empty stadium and he's not on the ballot. And while we should not take anything for granted, uh, that's a big difference. Uh, Dr. Oz from New Jersey is on the ballot, not Donald Trump. Um, and so, you know, we're certainly preparing. Uh, when I look at polls, I just try to add a couple extra points to their side in my head as a cushion. But um, I think it's certainly going to be competitive. But I'm optimistic that we'll see a more favorable environment than I anticipated when I signed up to do this. Right. No, I know it's it's surprising, gratifying, couldn't be more important because we probably didn't think we'd be here uh, for a lot of reasons. But I, I just think that's something for everybody to remember when you get excited about polls is just remember, I hope it doesn't happen. But when Republicans turn out uh, in excess of what models suggest, that's how things get super close and super tight and they can win some close races. Um I'm curious, just, uh, you know, this obviously is applicable to the race you're running um, this year, but as an operative, one of the things that strikes me, which is just historically stupid and, and political malpractice, is the attacks on mail-in voting. Now, not all Republican candidates did in 20, but Trump was the loudest microphone. Because as you know, this is something historically Republicans in a lot of states were quite good at. <laughs> and and now they've taken that off the table. I mean, my guess is we'll see more Republicans voting by mail this year than we did in 20 percentage. Maybe I'm wrong about that. Kind of just think about that. Like to me, it is just... Um, phenomenally um, short-sighted. I mean, I think it hurts them in the short term, but in the medium and the long term, you know, you want to exercise as a campaign manager, right? You want to make sure whether it's election day voting, early voting, vote by mail, you want as many avenues possible <laughs> to get people to vote. And and if you're a Republican where you're not, and I'm curious, are you starting to see Oz, are they telling people to vote by mail? Like what's their strategy? We haven't seen that from Oz yet. Interesting. Uh-huh. It's it's funny we you know you do see local Republican officials telling their constituents that voting by mail is safe and secure, but then you see because they actually want to win the election and not make a yeah, you know, ridiculous exactly. Point. Yeah. But, then, but then you see the Mastrianos and the Trumps just trashing it. Um, you'll probably probably see Oz on both sides of that because he'll say something different to voters in Scranton when he's with Trump uh, than he will when he's uh, in. Philadelphia suburbs with Toomey. Um, 
but you're right. It is malpractice. Your our, our job as campaign operatives is to get as many people to vote as possible. Obviously, you're trying to rally your troops and and get more. Um, but it's wild. And even when you talk to, like, I remember my early career on the Obama campaign. When you're talking to people about voting, you want to remind them that it's easy, safe, and fun. You'll be in and out. It's you know, come join us. It's a party. Um, you don't want to scare people about what it's like. And that's exactly what the Republicans did in 2020. They scared people away from uh, mail-in voting. And as a result, uh, I knew we were going to win on election night, even though it wasn't called, because I knew how many mail, mail-in votes were outstanding and the percentages that we were modeling um, you know, we're around like two thirds, uh, we could count on, uh, two out of every three mail votes. We're going to be in our column at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's a unique phenomenon <laughs> and, uh, just one more interesting marker in the, in the crazy political times we live in. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious. So, uh, Brennan, you've you've had to build now, um, and and people should remember. You know, United States Senate camp, a United States Senate campaign in the year 2022 is a major, major enterprise. Uh, and and just talk. You know, you and I both started out. You know, as field organizers at the beginning of our career. I'm sure most of your staff numerically are field organizers. Just talk about where have they come from? What's motivating them? Any innovations in organizing you're seeing this year? Yeah, I mean, you know, the coordinated campaign staff comes from all over the place. Um, a lot of people from Pennsylvania, I think uh, the coordinated campaigns have done a much better job of retaining staff local in to state. their communities yeah. and their states, which is, is good. And I think that's a positive development. Um, and on our team, you know, we have a diverse group of folks uh, from, from all over. We got a lot of uh, Yinzers and, uh, <laughs> and Philly natives too. Um, but, you know, we've got... Uh, young folks from Texas, from Oklahoma, uh, all across the country, people who are attracted to the unique uh, message and messenger that that John is offering. And I think that's something uh, that I wish more folks could experience on more campaigns because it's special. Um, But when you've got a unique candidate like John and, and someone who really believes what they're saying and isn't afraid to do things differently and, uh, you know, maybe um, clash with clash with folks along the way in the process. Um, it's inspiring. And so, you know, it, it turns people out to volunteer. It turns people out to, you know, drop what they're doing and, uh, and move across the country to be a part of a movement. And it's, uh, it's really special. And we, we're really lucky. We just actually brought our team together for an all staff retreat a few days ago. Um, one of the only times we've had all the staff in one place um, because, you know, we're split up between Philly and Pittsburgh and a lot of other places. And uh, it was great. It, it made me feel like a, a 2012 organizer again. Um, but we have a really special group of talented young people um, and a talented, energetic, broader team and uh, really proud to just be a part of it. And that'll be, I assume, the last time you guys were all together till your post-election party, right? Was that in Harrisburg, or did right. you guys do it somewhere else in the in the middle of the state? No, we took everyone to Pittsburgh because we got to be oh nice to, to John's, you know, John's neck of the woods. Of yeah. course, of course. That's my only complaint with Fetterman is he's sheets, not Wawa. But you know, yeah, he's got to be authentic. I'm to a who Wawa he is, guy right? myself. <laughs> First <laughs> thing too. I did when we got our Philly office was hang a giant gritty banner in it, so everybody knows where I stand. 
Very smart. You got to be clear, man. Well, hopefully the Phillies will be uh, in the playoffs as you bring this race home and uh, the Sixers and the Eagles get off to a good start. Well, listen, Brendan, thank you for your time today. I know how busy you are uh, in, in the great race you're running and just would like to re, uh, uh, restate what Brendan said. If, if you're in Pennsylvania or even outside of Pennsylvania uh, and you wonder what you can do, uh, you know, sign up to volunteer, go to Pennsylvania, certainly give uh, money online, get involved in social media. Uh, these polls uh, largely put him out of mind. Uh, obviously, Brennan and his team have run a great race, put Fetterman in a great position, but a long way from now to the, to the finish line. Thank you very much. I'm really honored to be here. And thank you to everybody listening who's supporting John. Burwood Yost, Director of the Center for Opinion Research at Franklin and Marshall College and expert on all things Pennsylvania electorate. Uh, welcome to Campaign HQ. Sure. So let's start. Uh, before we get into the races, based on your research, what are the top issues in Pennsylvania driving voters? Well, I think like many places in the country, uh, voters are really concerned about inflation in the economy. Um, when we ask what things they we, we ask the question a little differently. We don't ask people, we don't give them a list. We just ask them in an open-ended format, what's most, what's the most important problem facing them? And at the top of that list are economic concerns, uh, particularly inflation. Um, and then right behind that, believe it or not, are concerns about our politics and our politicians and our government. There's a real dislike among our voters in Pennsylvania of the divisiveness of our current political times and the inability of um, politicians to get things done that voters think need to be done. Um, and that's been at or near the top of people's concerns here in Pennsylvania for a number of years. And does abortion play into then the third issue or is that a little further down? You know, uh, that's lower down on that list. Um, I think if you give them a list, abortion would be near the top. And I think if we look at the way voters, at least since the primary, have um, become more engaged, particularly among Democrats, that abortion's the answer to that question. That's that's the reason. That's the thing that's motivating those voters. Um, but in when we ask the open-ended question about what's what are the problems that are confronting them in their lives, um, abortion's pretty far down that list. So there could be some discordance between what's most important in their lives versus their voting behavior. So are you are you picking up in your research then in Pennsylvania intensity amongst Democratic voters that has increased over the last two to three months? Undoubtedly. And is that about on par with the Republicans now in terms of intensity uh, towards 22 participation? It actually may be a bit ahead of the Republicans. In fact, when we did our pre-primary poll during um, the, the May primary elections here in the state. Um, at that time, about um, 60% of Republicans said they were really interested in the upcoming elections. Um, and uh, it was about 50% of Democrats who said that. In our August poll, those numbers stayed about the same for Republicans, still about 60%, but it was 66% of Democrats in August, who told us they were really interested. So that's a huge swing. Um, and it narrowed things like the um, the generic ballot question. Uh, Republicans had a larger advantage in May than they do now. Um, it's down to two points. Uh, and what's interesting, I'm sure we'll talk about the Senate race, is 
in in reality, the Senate, uh, the Republican Senate candidate Mehmet Oz is certainly underperforming where we expect a generic congressional Republican to land. So let's talk about that. I, I think in your research uh, at Franklin and Marshall, uh, but this is also consistent with most of the other public surveys to date, both Fetterman and Shapiro have healthy leads. Um, but in none of the research are they at 51, 52. Uh, you know, there's a lot of vote that's unallocated. And is your sense, and you probably spent a lot of time looking at who those, whether they're truly undecided or they're just not ready to commit, like, are they more like, you know, Oz and Mastriano voters are more like uh, Fetterman and Shapiro? Like, I'm a Democrat. I wish you would say, oh, a lot of them are going to choose Democrats. But my sense is right now, Fetterman and Shapiro are closer to their ultimate vote ceiling than the Republicans are. So so would you expect a lot of that? I always remind Democrats, if a poll shows a Democrat up 46-40, it's better than the alternative. <laughs> but that means there's 14% unallocated. And that's really the important question. We'll talk about turnout in a minute, which is the other big factor. But do those unallocated voters in, in your research and, and what you've seen of others, are they more likely to land with the Republican candidates when all is said and done? Yes, and the, the short answer is yes. Um, Hence, these are why we're going to have a close race, right? Yeah. Right. Well, we're going to have a close race because that's what we do in Pennsylvania. In Pennsylvania. Comes to right. Senate races. If you look over the past 20 years, the average margin in those Senate races is about two and a half points. So we tend to have very close Senate races. Actually, gubernatorial races are closer to nine or 10 point races. Um, so I expect that this Senate race is going to be the closest race, statewide race. Um, and as you say, none of the Democrats, neither Democrat have, um, have, have gone over 50%, which is of course the magic number. Um, and when you look at our last poll, uh, more Democrats have made up their minds and are supporting Democratic candidates. The jury's still out for some Republicans. At the end of the day, I suspect many of them will come out to vote for their candidate, or if they don't like the candidate, maybe they'll stay at home. Um, but I think it's more likely that this race tightens considerably. Now, now we do our polling a little differently than some people. I mean, we include all of the candidates. We allow people to tell us they don't know. Um, but if I'm really looking at this race and I look at the if somebody tells us they're not sure who they're voting for, we ask them if they're leaning towards a candidate. And that really shows an advantage for Dr. Oz uh, among those leaners, right? So it goes from a 13-point race advantage for, for Fetterman to about eight or nine points for Fetterman, which is still a lead, which is still what you want. But I, you know, I think if I'm a Democrat, I would be concerned because Fetterman has really had the playing field to himself throughout the summer. Now in Pennsylvania, we're starting to see some of the, the, the crime sorts of advertising that I think Republicans are going to try to run on. Uh, he's got a long record with the state, uh, the probation board, uh, parole board, that kind of thing. And so I think they're going to try to maximize support, not necessarily to improve Oz's standing among voters, which, as you know, is well underwater, but probably to drive down Fetterman's favorability rate. Are you getting the sense that they're going to hit really strong turnout? And how as a pollster do you, um, I guess, adjust? Uh, I know I, as a practitioner, didn't expect them to get the kind of turnout they got. And, it, and, it, and, and uh, you know, it, it definitely surprised me. So, like, if I'm running a Democratic campaign right now, I just assume two things. They're going to get more turnout than my models show. 
And they might even do better in some of these smaller counties than our models show, right? Like just to be careful, like to basically what comes out of that is we have to get more vote than we might think we need to get to counteract them overperforming. I just love your thoughts on that because to me, this is the most important. The other question is just, do you, th are you seeing in Pennsylvania any suggestion that over the next decade, Republicans will continue to make gains with non-college blue-collar voters, including some of, of color. That seems a real possibility. Um, and I think, you know, we're, we're conflating all these races, though, and we have to be careful about that, right? I mean, Josh Shapiro, no one's ever gotten more votes in Pennsylvania than Josh Shapiro in any election, right? I mean, his, his performance in 2020 was pretty astonishing. And even his numbers, when you look at our last poll, look very strong. Even when you do the um, the leaners, he doesn't lose ground the way that, say, Fetterman does to Oz. So, you know, I think it's very possible you have two sort of different races um, because I think Shapiro's got an opportunity to do well in all of those communities, drive down certain margins uh, in, the, in the rural areas, be appealing to suburban voters, and even be somewhat exciting to urban voters, right? He, he, he's, he's, he's pretty adept. Um, and I, I don't think people give him enough credit for the political skill it probably took to clear the field in a gubernatorial primary that was an open seat, right? I mean, that was, to me, an incredible accomplishment. Um, and it speaks to his skill as a politician. So I think, you know, his race is going to be different than the Fetterman-Oz race. Um, you know, not, I mean, the context is the same, as you well know, but but the, the candidates are different and they're going to confront different issues um, and have different strengths and weaknesses. I do think if I'm, a, if I'm a Democratic consultant in Pennsylvania, I'm worried about the urban vote uh, and I'm worried about Oz's potential with suburban voters. So what do you, as you think about the Republican turnout question I mentioned, how do you adjust your thinking and work just, you know, to try and capture, and again, if they're not going to get strong turnout, they're not going to get strong turnout. But that has been something I think a lot of us uh, maybe, you know, if we didn't miss completely, didn't capture the full effect of that turnout. Um, how, how have you adjusted your work to, to at least understand what may and may not be happening as it relates to I mean, this is true for Democratic turnout, but I'm particularly interested in Republican turnout. Yeah, well, I mean, we look at that closely for, for all voters. And we, you know, we ask them multiple questions about their interests, their intention to vote, how they're going to vote, right, if they have plans to vote. Then we also use some of the data we get in their, our sample files about fast voting history and, and uh, registration and things like that and try to build a model that reflects what um, you know, what, what is the likelihood of someone going to vote based on what they tell us in their past history? Um, so, you know, it's a, it's a guess. And I, you know, to be frank, my, my interest in this stuff is less about trying to predict the winner and more to understand the dynamics, right? I mean, you look at all the questions that we ask in our poll about things like, you know, economic circumstances or, uh, the direction of the state, or the, the personal finances. I mean, all the things that we ask about really set the stage for understanding what might happen because ultimately, you know, it'll come down 
it's the environment and then it's the candidates and, uh, you know, which candidate can make a better case for, for what they're trying to do. The environment undoubtedly favors, still, I think, favors Republicans. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, and I don't, I'm not sure there's enough time for it to change, right? I mean, even we talked about voters of color, um, they're just as dissatisfied with the economy as and their personal financial situations as are white voters. And so that says to me, those voters are open to persuasion if you've got a message on that, uh, that issue. But, but I agree with you generally. That's the, that's the potential Achilles heel uh, for Democratic candidates is, is that turnout amongst, uh, you know, in, in Pennsylvania, primarily black voters. I think there's other parts of the country where, uh, you know, the challenge could be the vote share amongst Hispanic voters. You know, uh, it's, it's closer. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, no one's touched President Obama's numbers out of Philadelphia. Right. I mean, if if um, Senator Clinton could have performed at his level, he'd have won this state. She'd have won this state. Right. I mean, um, and no one's been able to replicate the success your team has been, was able to create in that in that part of the state. Um, but, but part of the, the equation for offsetting these rural voters enthusiasm, um, is, is making sure that you're, you got your voters turning out in these urban areas, because even though many rural communities have lost population, their registration and turnout punches well above their registration weight. Absolutely. And when you put them all together, it turns into a pretty major yeah, Pennsylvania absolutely. city <laughs> uh, is, is the way you have to look at it. So I'm curious, as you look at, uh, you know, relatively new phenomenon in Pennsylvania is a significant party electorate voting early by mail. What will you be looking for as that data comes in to help inform your, I, I assume a big part of that is the turnout assessment, but, but what, what will that tell you and what should we be looking at? Look, we're, we're new at this, as you know, right? 2020 yeah. was the first. Yeah. And I think about 39% of voters uh, voted by mail in 2020, if my, my memory serves. Um, so I think we're going to see if that, uh, I'll be looking to see uh, what the turnout is among um when, when the returns start coming in, how many people have voted by mail? We will keep track of that and compare it to what we saw in 2020 to give us some sense of turnout because we do know, and we'll be matching that to our polls, right? Our polls ask how they're planning to vote and if they voted. That's not available yet, but soon. Uh, once that's possible, we'll ask them if they voted and how they voted so we can incorporate that into the data that we're collecting. Um, I told someone in 2020 um, based on the outstanding mail vote in our own polls about the the split between Democrats and Republicans, I said that Biden, I knew Biden was going to win the state because of that. Um, and it turned out to be true. And and so we'll try to make sure we're keeping a close eye on, on those numbers because they're going to give us some sense of enthusiasm um, and, and turnout, which is going to be vital and which has been really high the last couple of cycles. Presumably, we very particularly if if both races tighten at the statewide level, but if the Senate race does tighten, we could face the same situation as we had in twenty, right? Which is the Republicans leading on election night, uh, and you know either they hold their lead or Democrats take over, but not till Thursday or Friday. So ugly times ahead. Yeah, I don't think there's any doubt we're going to have that happen. Um, 
because we just haven't changed our rules. We can't agree on doing the pre-canvassing and the sorts of things you need and that they do in other states to count in a timely manner. Um, so, yeah, we're, I suspect for the Senate race, we're not going to know. And that probably won't be the only race. So there we go. Well, it's really a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for doing this and, and love to chat anytime that, that you'd like. Okay, well, give me a call anytime. It's been a pleasure to talk to you.